This Quirecast podcast episode is brought to you by the brand new number one best-selling Amazon blockbusting book, The Seeds of Deconstruction, One Troublemaker's Journey from Religious Certainty to Liberating Doubt by brand new author, Nat Turney, also the co-host of This Is Not Church, the podcast. If you are deconstructing, if you have deconstructed, if you're thinking about deconstructing or you're just wondering what the hell is deconstruction anyway, pick up this book and find out. It's all the rage. All the kids are doing it. It's great. Check it out wherever fine books are sold. Buy a copy for yourself. Buy one for your friends. Maybe take it to your Bible study and really piss some folks off. Peace out. Love y'all. Thanks. The mind that was in Jesus, that mind is in me. Without me, life has no meaning. Why would God tell you what I'm thinking and tell you what I've said to my wife or my husband when you're not around? It's because I'm the pastor of the church and I need to know. This is the only place where you can see truth. Hey, Ethans, you're listening to the Deadly Faith Podcast, where religion and crime collide. I'm Lacey. And I'm Lola. And this shit is satanic. Hey, guys, and welcome back to another episode. Me and Lola are floating on cloud nine because we just launched literally yesterday. And you guys came in clutch and were like crazy amazing. We are sitting at, let me check, hold on. We are sitting at 861 downloads in just the last seven days. Yesterday, we had a total of 445. And today we have 215 downloads so far. And I'm shitting my pants because you guys are so amazing. I'm screaming, crying, throwing up. So (laughs) it is amazing. I did not Um, think that that was going to happen like that. I don't want to jinx it too. (laughs) No, it's going to keep going. People are excited and we have amazing episodes coming ready for them. And this one, you guys are going to be just crazy amazing. It's not amazing, but it's, I am fascinated with this subject. And like you guys heard in, I think it was like, what, two episodes ago, when Lola had no idea what the satanic panic was. And I was like, wait, hold on. I am scratching all of my plans for my next case. And we are going to be talking about the satanic panic today. Debrief me for sure. I need to know everything about it. This is wild. Your brain is just going to explode. I'm going to have so many more new wiggles in my brain from this. <laughs> you no are. more you're smooth have... brain boy moments for me. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> you're going to have way more references after this one. And just keep in mind that, that I am giving you just like an overview of the satanic panic because there is so much to it. We could literally probably create an entire season for a podcast just on the satanic panic. It is that chock full of just fucking craziness. Oh my God. Okay. I don't know how I haven't heard about this sooner. (laughs) I I don't know how you haven't heard about this. This is wild. So yeah, we're just going to jump right in because we have a lot today and we're going to try and not waste your time. So I'm prepared. I'm prepared. Okay. Here we go. Let's jump in. So a lot of this stuff happens kind of simultaneously. And so I'm. we're going to kind of go through one and then we'll jump back in time and then go through okay. another. But just keep in mind that a lot of this is happening kind of at the same time or within a few years of each other, okay? Okay. So I'm going to start somewhere where most people don't start, okay? the Most people start with the second thing I'm going to talk about and they feel like that is like the main origins of the satanic panic. But... Technically, this, I would say, is the precursor to the origins of the Satan Panic. So okay. you'll understand as I get into it. Okay, so we're going to talk about Dungeons and Dragons. Are you guys ready? <laughs> so, 
Are you ready? Okay. So James Dallas Egbert, I think is how you say his last name. He is the third. He was a child prodigy. And by 16, he was already attending Michigan State University. But in August of 1979, James went missing from his dorm room. In his dorm, they ended up finding a suicide note. Now, I can't remember exactly what the note said, but like it could be a suicide note, but it also could not be a suicide note. It was a little bit weird. And the parents, when they ended up finding this, um, they were very upset because it apparently took the school a few days to let them know that their son was not around. And remember, he's 16. He's a child prodigy. He was like a fucking genius. And their 16-year-old kid is missing from university. What? Yes. So after they can't find their son, and they can't even find his body if he had you know, actually committed suicide, they weren't even finding his body. So they ended up hiring a man named William Deere. He was a private investigator, and he was tasked to search for their son. So apparently... What had happened was James had tried to commit suicide. He had left his room and entered the tunnels underneath the school. And he he had consumed a large amount of meth. But the attempt was unsuccessful. And when he (sighs) came to, yeah, when he came to underneath the tunnels, he came out and he decided to just go hang out at his friend's house and like hide out there. (laughs) So... Why? Yeah, I know. He's like, I fuck it. I'm just not gonna come out. This is giving mad Heather's plus Tom Sawyer. Like, just <laughs> a weird crossover. Yeah. <laughs> so while William Deere is searching for James, he actually went on TV and announced that he believed that James's disappearance was linked to the game Dungeons and Dragons, and he even speculated that James was struggling with his sexuality. Okay. So this 16-year-old kid is being strewn across TV and all of like, I was going to say social media. That social media wasn't a thing back then. All of media because he's a missing prodigy child. So everyone's interested in like what happened to this kid. And now this investigator is going on TV saying, oh, I think there's a link to Dungeons and Dragons. Like that could have been one of the reasons he decided to commit suicide. And he basically effectively outed this 16-year-old child to everybody in the world. I need a perception check on that. <sighs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rolling at 20. Due to this and James being the topic of discussion all across the U.S., he decided to stay in hiding. Like what 16-year-old's like, uh, okay, I want to like come out into this when the whole world's talking about not only me, but my sexuality. Oh my God. <laughs> Again, while he's in hiding, he tries to commit suicide again by taking a a cyanide pill. This attempt, again, was unsuccessful. Eventually, James left Lansing, Michigan, and he traveled by bus to New Orleans, Louisiana. After a few days of being there, he called William Deere, the investigator, and he revealed his whereabouts to William. Now, William comes and gets James from Louisiana. And after William spends some time talking with him, he James ends up asking him to keep his whereabouts a secret and like what he's going through in life and everything that he's that's going on. He just asks William to keep it a secret. And William, the investigator, agrees and he releases James to the custody of James's uncle. And he's a um, minor. 
But but he does release him to an adult. He releases him to his uncle. Yeah, but what about his parents? I think he ends up telling his parents, like, he's safe, he's with his uncle, blah, blah, blah. He just is, I think it's mostly he's asking William to not go on TV, to not make a big skeptical of, like, his life and what is going on. Okay, okay. And so William agrees. James is now with his uncle, and this was all around the middle of September. So all of this kind of happened within a like five to six week period from the time he went missing to the time William found him. Now, unfortunately, James succumbed to his troubles and successfully took his life by a Mm. self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head on August 16th, 1980. So this was basically a year after he tried the very first time going into the tunnels and taking his life with meth. Yeah. So from the time that he was released back to his uncle to the time that he actually successfully took his own life, he was not given any help. He was not in therapy or anything that I could find. And there was plenty of evidence pointing to his mental health problems, like struggling with his sexuality in the 80s. It's not a fun time to be struggling with your sexuality Yeah. and all that. But his family and the investigators were pretty much blaming D&D and Dungeons and Dragons, <laughs> the game, for... I don't understand the correlation. <laughs> oh, we'll get to the correlation. Just just wait. Great. So yeah, they, they blamed Dungeons and Dragons on the reason why James decided to take his own life. After he dies, they end up making a movie called Mazes and Monsters hmm. that came out, and it was roughly based off of James's life. The suicide of a poor, hurting, and traumatized 16-year-old kid was made into a fucking movie. That's gross. Come on, guys. It was made out to be that basically playing this game got into your head so bad, playing this role-playing game, got into your head so bad that it could literally convince you to commit suicide or to do evil, unspeakable things. The game was that powerful. You know those, like, TikToks where it's like, (laughs) What would kill a Victorian child if they were alive today or something? Uh-huh. <laughs> what would kill uh, an 80s old white man in today? Virtual oh, reality? Yeah. <laughs> what? Seriously. I'm confused. Oh. oh, and girl, we are just getting started. Just wait. Just wait. Ugh. So in 1982, a boy named Bink was found dead in his family's home from a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the heart. The family found him when they had returned home, and it was well known that Bink was going through a lot in his personal life, and many of his friends knew that he was struggling with his sexuality as well. And it made it even hard because his parents were very religious. So struggling with your sexuality in a very religious home just makes that struggle 10 times worse. So his classmates, after he committed suicide, were adamant that D&D was not the reason for his suicide. When I say D&D, it stands for Dungeons and Dragons, just for those who don't know. Yeah, not doorknobs and dildos. <laughs> doorknobs and dildos. <laughs> just in case. Oh my gosh. Just in case you didn't know what D&D stands for. That's hilarious. Oh my gosh, I love that. Um, unfortunately, his mom was on the other side of that coin. Uh. And she was positive. She was a thousand percent positive that Bing's involvement in D&D was the reason he committed suicide. She could not, I think she was so religious in her beliefs that she could not wrap her head around her son struggling with his sexuality or what that would feel like struggling with that in a household that's religious. 
and how that could lead to somebody committing suicide. But dungeons and dragons and demons and demonic stuff getting into your head, that as a Christian was easier for her to wrap her head around. And so she decided to just keep running with D&D was the culprit of her son committing suicide. Now, a man named Leith, I don't know how you say his name. I should have Google pronounced this before <laughs> I got into this. Sorry, guys. Okay, we're just going to call him Leith. Peter von Stein and his wife, Bonnie von Stein, were sleeping in their home when a masked man rushed into their room and started stabbing them both with a knife and beating them with a club. <gasps> yes. Get out of my house, idiot. Yeah. <sighs> Okay. Unfortunately, Leith died, but Bonnie clung to life. And after the intruder left, she was able to call for help. Throughout the investigation, come to find out that the masked man was a friend of Chris von Stein, Bonnie's son, and Leith von Stein's stepson. So Leith and Bonnie were very wealthy, and Chris, the son and stepson, wanted to access his inheritance early. So Chris had gotten involved in drugs and alcohol. And a lot of the media just kind of skated over that fact that he was involved in drugs and alcohol and went straight to he was in a D and D game, and the boys like in his one D&D, time. No, how many he times actually, the, the, the kid, him and his D and D friends actually were all a part of this conspiracy oh. and murder plot to kill his parents. So it was. The one of the friends in Chris's D and D group that actually did the murder, another friend who drove the murderer to the house and was like the lookout person, and then of course Chris was one of the ones that helped plan it. Now, throughout the investigation, they were actually able to find a board game or like map that they had drawn for D and D that was drawn based off of Chris's home. So, of course, the focus was and oh. the blame for the crime was put on D&D. Like, come on. Okay. It was the fact that they were into drugs and alcohol and stuff. And I've seen people who have been addicted to drugs do some crazy shit. You know what? Crime in the 80s is just a, sh- it's a whole shit show. They were out there fucking wilding. The 70s and the 80s, Lord have fucking mercy. I feel like like rabid cats and toddlers were running the justice system <laughs> at the amount of things that are overlooked that it's like, I feel like a reasonable analytical person could still kind of like make some other connections. But Oh, honey, we're just getting started. Oh this God. is like the tip <laughs> of the iceberg. Honey, we you just, oh, just wait, just wait. I always said I wanted to live in the 80s, but I was wrong. <laughs> oh, no, no. Oh, oh, you were definitely wrong. And you'll understand more as we go on. Great. So after this crime, um, I think this, uh, I didn't write it down, but I'm pretty sure this crime happened uh, around 1989. So this was near the end of that decade. Taylor Swift. Um, okay. Oh, it was, was that when she was born? She was born in 89. 89, yeah, okay. She has an album called 1989, right? Yeah. This is funny. Mm -hmm. So Taylor Swift will be brought up in this case. Just hold on to your butts, guys, because it's at the end. So just wait. Okay. After this crime, they end up making a movie called Blood Games. Then they made a TV show called Honor Thy Mother, and it was all based off of this case. So William Deere, the private investigator from uh, James, the Mm -hmm. child prodigy who had went missing, he eventually retracted his statement and views that D&D 
is what led to James's suicide. And he even wrote a book in 1984 called The Dungeon Master, The Disappearance of James Dallas Egbert III, detailing how there was more going on in James's life that played a much larger role in his suicide than D&D. This was very much uh, too little too late there, buddy, because the public basically ignored his retraction. It was a nice effort, though. It, we can, yeah, I'll give him, uh, yeah, uh, A for effort. Give him some credibility. The title should have been different. It sounds like a romance novel. It it does. And I don't, I, I, I don't know if... Dungeon Master. <laughs> saying, like, the true story of the disappearance. I don't know, but I didn't read the book. But he does detail more of like what is going on in James's life, which I think was very probably honoring to James. And he yeah. says that the reason that he it took him a handful of years, because James killed himself in 1980, he the book didn't come out until 1984. He says that he was holding to his promise that he made to the boy that he would, you know, not talk about what James was actually going through in his personal life. Mm-hmm. But throughout that book, he really does try to retract his statements. But now, keep in mind, this is 1984. So there's a lot of shit happening in 1984. And you'll understand as we keep going. Still on D&D. So Pat Pulling was Bink's mother. Pat, like I said, had a really hard time coming to terms with her son taking his life. And she needed to find something to blame. And D&D was the perfect outlet. Mm. Now, Pat was a fundamentalist Christian And she also watched the movie Mazes and Monsters that was loosely based off of James's suicide. And she was convinced D&D caused her son to commit suicide. And this set her on a war path. She decides after this to start her own private investigation and become a, quote, expert in the dangers of Dungeons and Dragons. Pat said that D&D was, quote, a fantasy role-playing game which uses demonology, witchcraft, voodoo, murder, rape, blasphemy, suicide, assassination, insanity, sex perversion, homosexuality, prostitution, satanic-type rituals, gambling, barbarism, cannibalism, sadism, desecration, demon summoning, necromantics, divination, and other teachings. (laughs) Oh, and other teachings. (laughs) Don't forget. Okay. That that was a mouthful there, Pat. So throughout the years uh, of her tirade against D&D and her being a so-called expert, police would actually consult with her on cases that they were investigating when they found some kind of connection to D&D. Shut the back door and the window. Are you kidding me? No, they would consult with her. She doesn't even play the game. She doesn't even know. What the Mm-mm. fuck? Ah. So, now this woman is not letting it go. She's, she decides that now she's going to, to sue Bink's principal. She claims that he put a curse on Bink because the principal <laughs> ran a D&D game. And the curse is what drove him to suicide. Now, the principal didn't actually run a D&D game. What he did was he put together a club for kids to play board games. It was a way for him to try to help the kids stay out of trouble because yeah. there wasn't a whole lot to do in the 80s. And so he's trying to help the kids out. And this was a group that played all sorts of games and board games. And D&D was just one of them. Mm. Now, thankfully, she was laughed out of the courtroom 
Good. So good. she just decides that she's going to go now sue D&D and their publisher. So now she's suing two more times. Again, those cases are laughed out of the courtroom, but she couldn't let those go. She was really like, this is a bad game and we need to let the people know. So she goes on to establish an organization called Bothered About Dungeons and Dragons. Oh my God. Yes. The acronym is (laughs) B-A-D-D. Bad. (laughs) Was that purposeful though? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. That was good. Very much so. (laughs) So the organization (laughs) spent years, years working hard at getting the game either banned or restricted all across the U.S. Now, Gary, the creator of D&D, was in shock. He was a practicing Christian. And he kept saying, (gasps) the game is just a make-believe game, just like Monopoly. Like, it's no different. Like, why is everybody out to get D&D? Now, BADD even got the FTC the, what is it called? The Federal Trade Commission. I was like, oh gosh, that's FTC. They got them involved and the FTC did their own investigation into D&D and they were so close to banning or restricting the game in the US. It, it oh got so Lord. close. Oh my Lord. Yeah. No. Yeah. So many Christian sects outright denounced the game and even ostracized the players of it. Of course, you know, it's demonology and summoning demons and witchcraft, like, you know. So completely ostracized the game and anybody who played it. It was believed that if you died in the game, you would kill yourself in real life. It was that the game teaches you how to summon demons. And if you play it, you will become possessed. It was that kind of belief. Basically, the belief was that the game was pushing Satan's agenda. So that's where I went wrong. I played D&D one time, and now look at me. Fuck. I'm a heretic. You're deconstructed, heretic, bisexual <laughs> witch, and D&D, fuck it, goddamn, D&D did it to you. <laughs> it's too late, I'm sorry. I actually only played D&D like three times, and it was after deconstruction. <laughs> that's what, okay. yeah. So I did not know this part about uh, the satanic panic. I had never played D&D and I also didn't grow up in a Christian household. And so there's a lot of this like trolls are demonic or this is demonic that I was not privy to growing up because yeah. my parents weren't like that. And so we were all like sitting around one day not too long ago and I was like, oh, so-and-so um, at my daughter's school is this mom. She's like so fucking cool. Shout out, mm-hmm. Vanessa. She does Dungeons and Dragons. And I was like, I want to play Dungeons and Dragons. Like we should do a mom group where we, you know, have a Dungeons and Dragons. I've never played. Oh. And I was bringing it up while like my <laughs> family and stuff was over, my husband's family. Yeah. And <laughs> I was like, I'm so excited. We're going to play D&D. And then they left. And my husband's like, why did you bring that up? And I was like, oh my God. Okay. He was like, Dungeons and Dragons was like definitely like not something not. you were allowed to play. I was like, really? I had no idea. Like it makes sense. But also I yeah. never played the game. So I didn't know that a lot of Christians found it demonic. There were a lot of things that were found demonic by or deemed demonic by the church. Like, yeah. well, actually, my mother would not let us watch The Fairly Odd Parents, which if anyone is... Oh, because they fied? Because they're, they're fairies. They're like... Yeah, yeah. Little... Mm-hmm. And they do magic with their wands, you know? Yeah, like, oh, hell no. 
So that was satanic. It extends to even like very innocent little things like that. Mm-hmm. Oh, those little troll dolls, like, you know, the movie Trolls? Oh, yeah. So like yeah. we had those little troll yes. dolls back in the 80s and 90s and stuff. And that I, my husband was like, oh yeah, like we were taught that was demonic. I was like, really? Those little troll dolls? Like it's just a fucking doll with some crazy hair. Yeah, certain toys, certain games and shows. It was just like, at, mm-hmm. at what point, it was very far reaching. Yes. In a lot of ways. Now, I have a question. Have you watched Stranger Things? I only live for it. I only breathe it. Thank you. I um, um, I I read a lot of Stranger Things smut. Yeah. Holler to my smut fans because yeah, <laughs> that's gosh, my go-to. Okay. So you've seen the most recent season. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. That mm-hmm. they literally are portraying satanic panic in the last season. That is what is going on. So oh all God. of the townspeople are up in arms and they're like, Eddie is demonic because he's yeah. plays Dungeons and Dragons. That is, that is exactly what's going on. And yeah, he plays Dungeons mm-hmm. and Dragons. Yeah. Oh so, my God. Yes. Satanic um, Panic and Stranger Things. <laughs> I didn't make that connection, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. Also, at the end of the 80s, uh, Pat Pulling ends up writing a book called The Devil's Web. Who's stalking oh your children for Satan? <laughs> it's the white men in the pulpit. Anyway, it it was very D and D centered, like eccentric, like focused, focused on D and D. Now, thankfully, in 1990, a man named Michael Stackpole published the Pulling Report. This is where he outlined all of Pat's misinformation and how she claimed to be an expert, but she wasn't. Now, this was a hit to her credibility. And over the years, she wasn't taken as seriously, but Mm -hmm. also got cancer. And she ended up dying in 2000. This was also when um, BADD dissolved. Okay. So 1990, when Michael publishes the polling report, it was just like basically the downfall after that for the next decade, basically, of BADD and pet polling. She was not seen as an actual expert anymore. And it really helped the D&D community kind of have something to combat all of the satanic panic rhetoric that was coming at them. Yeah. Now, um, at this time, also more actual research was done into D&D and how it affects or plays a role in someone's mental health. The American Association of Suicidology, the CDC, and Health and Welfare Canada all came out uh, with research proving that D&D and role-playing games don't impact one's mental health and even showed that it didn't cause a greater risk of suicide. They Hmm. even debunked the number of suicides that BADD had reported. They said there was 128 suicides that were correlated to D&D or at least linked to D&D. But when they the, the researchers looked into it, they found the number to be actually much lower because BADD had counted certain suicides multiple times. Mm. So it was like, okay, person A committed suicide and it was written about in the New York Times. And then it was also written about in the LA Times. And so they actually counted that as two suicides when in reality, it was just one person. Now, from the ages of 15 to 25, on average, uh, during this time frame, I think it was like a 10-year period, 5,300 suicides per year for ages 15 to 25. So 
BADD reported 128 suicides, but it wasn't correct. Um, It was actually much lower. But based off of the normal suicide rate, there should have been 1,060 suicides during that time period from D&D people. So they ended up proving that suicide rates among role-playing games were actually significantly lower than the national average for that age range. Damn, suck on that, bad. Basically saying that there's no correlation. Like, if you wanted to make a correlation, like, you could say that those in role-playing games in this age range actually have a lower risk of committing suicide than those who are not part of role-playing games like D&D. And I was like, ha-ha, suck it. Yeah, I agree. Armando Simon ended up publishing a report in October of 1987 titled Emotional Stability Pertaining to the Game Dungeons and Dragons. And he stated that studies had shown that suicidal tendencies are not typically associated with role players. And there's a lot of research and stuff that went on to it, but we don't have to get into all of that. So now we're we're debunking a lot, thankfully. There was, yes, there's, thankfully, there's been a lot of research. But again, as we will see as this goes on, too little, too late for a lot of this. Okay, yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay, so we're going to jump back in time. Remember, James ended up committing suicide in 1980, Mm -hmm. the very first kid I was talking about. Okay, so we're going to jump back to around that time. So D&D starts getting its uproar while also this next section is starting to happen. So it's kind of happening simultaneously. Hmm. So we are going to talk about a woman named Michelle Smith. So in 1973 in Canada, a woman named Michelle Smith is struggling mentally, so she goes to see a psychiatrist. She ends up seeing a man named Dr. Lawrence Pastor. In 1976, uh, he was treating her for depression after she ended up having a miscarriage, and she was having very horrible nightmares. So he had already been seeing her for three years up until this point. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, during this time of him treating her for her depression after the miscarriage, uh, she tells him that she feels like there's something she needs to tell him, but she can't remember what it is. So to help, Dr. Lawrence puts Michelle under hypnosis to try and recover. I knew you were going to say hypnosis. Whatever it is (laughs) that's plaguing her. He's like, let's just put you under hypnosis. Great. So... During her time under hypnosis, she starts to remember unspeakable abuse. At first, it was like dark rooms, chanting, people all around her, just kind of weird stuff. (laughs) Oh, no. But then the memories turned sinister. This is when Dr. Lawrence comes to the conclusion that Michelle is suffering from SRA, satanic ritual abuse. Over the span of the next 14 months, Michelle spent more than 600 hours under hypnosis doing memory recovery therapy. During her time under hypnosis, she would often speak as if she was a five-year-old child again. Oh. Yes, she Uh. literally spoke like a five-year-old child. Oh. Mm -hmm. Oh, just, just wait. It keeps going. Okay. So through these recovered memories, Michelle alleges that her mother offered her up to a satanic cult to do rituals in order to summon Satan. She was subjected to uh, kidnapping, sexual assault, torture, watching the sacrifice of animals and babies, being locked in cages with snakes, and at times being covered in the dismembered body parts of babies. I'm throwing up, screaming, crying. Goodbye. What? (laughs) Was it real? Is this real? Yeah. No, none of this is real. Yeah. Hypnotherapy is... 
like very much highly controversial. It's like the same thing as a uh, polygraph test. It's like yes, you can't a lot of (laughs) you can't go off it. A lot of psychiatrists will tell you like recovered memory therapy is not trusted therapy Mm-mm. and it's not helpful. No. Um, the many, mind plays tricks is the thing. Mm-hmm. Like, interesting. For example, like I know somebody who has gone to therapy and been in therapy for years and their mm-hmm. therapist knew that they were not, I don't know if it's like saying struggled is the right word, but they they could be diagnosed with DID, dissociative identity disorder. They okay. knew that as a therapist, but the client did not know that. Okay. And the client was also repressing a lot of memories from their childhood, which is very common in DID patients. Mm -hmm. But the therapist never said a word about it. Nothing. And it took years for the client to finally come to terms and think, I think something happened to me and like Mm -hmm. start talking about it. And it took a while for them to realize that the therapist actually knew about this for years or suspected about this for years. But they didn't want to say anything because you can plant memories. You can plant exactly. things. Yes. And and you don't want to do that, especially as a professional therapist. And so that was basically what was going on here. Yeah. Okay. Now, just wait here, babe. We're gonna we're just we're gonna it just keeps getting worse. Okay. Great. The abuse I love it. was uh, the abuse was alleged to have happened between 1954 and 1955 when Michelle was five years old. Now, the abuse only lasted one year, and it they say that it abruptly ended after an 81-day ritual that summoned Satan, but ended because Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael, the archangel, intervened. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm okay. I know, right? Like, I feel bad laughing, but come on. Now, was he red? Did he have horns? I gotta know. <laughs> I, gotta, I have to know. So with this intervention, all of those people, so Jesus, the Virgin Mary, and Michael, the archangel, um, they were able to take away all the scars that Michelle had received from the abuse, and they even blocked her memory in order to protect her. Uh, real convenient. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So after years of recovering these memories, Michelle and Dr. Lawrence decide to write a book. And in 1980, the book Michelle Remembers was published. When the book was released, it became a hit, not only in Canada, but also in the U.S. and in many other English-speaking countries. Now, in 1980, when the book was first published, they actually went on tour Yes, they went on tour. I think they went on tour in Canada and the US. I'm not 100% sure, but I'm pretty sure it was both of those countries. And they promoted the book. They ended up earning a $100,000 hardcover advance and a $242,000 advance for paperback. So that was the hardcover and the paperback. So altogether, they ended up getting a $342,000 advance in 1980, which I did do the conversion for you guys. Uh, in today's money, that is just over $1.3 million. I smell, I smell something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what, am I, what am I trying to yeah. say? Not, I smell bitch. No, I smell yeah. um, <laughs> greed. Something like oh, that. Yeah. It, oh. So, okay. Michelle was a married woman living a normal day-to-day life, just like everybody else during this time. And Dr. Lawrence was a respected licensed professional. So they were seen as credible sources and society believed them. Okay. Yeah. 
media and tabloids. Oh, people were so interested in what is this satanic ritual abuse we went through? Like, oh, we have to eat this up. And media ran with it. Tabloids ran with it. And soon enough, Michelle was branded as Satan's bride. I'm sorry. Did she actually remember these things? Like when she woke up from the hypnosis thing? I don't want to, I don't want to jump. I don't want to jump the gun. Okay. okay. I will get okay. to that. Okay. Cool. Uh, many believe that this book was the origins of the satanic panic, which like if we did go back, I would say, yes, this was like oh. the deepest roots of the satanic panic. But people were already blaming D&D and yeah. running with that for like James's suicide prior to this book being published because this book was published in, I think, January of 1980. And he went missing in 1979 in August. So... I think this was kind of happening simultaneously. Yeah. So after this, many people started coming forward, alleging to have recovered similar memories of satanic ritual abuse from their childhoods. <laughs> By the end of the 80s in 1989, Oprah Winfrey actually had Michelle and another lady who alleged to have recovered satanic child abuse memories oh my God. on her show. And this, again, just gave them more and more credibility. You're itchy. I'm itchy. You laugh at that. I laugh at that. Okay. Okay. I see the trend. Uh, Yeah. I get it. And now, interestingly enough, though, there's more to Michelle and Dr. Lawrence's relationship than the public knew. I fucking knew it. I knew it. I (laughs) called it. It I wrote it down. I said, (laughs) sex. I said sex. Yeah. Mm. Mm -hmm. So there is a new documentary uh, that has come out that it's called Satan Wants You. And it's a deep dive into the roots of the satanic panic. And it has a lot of the family members of Michelle and Dr. Lawrence on it. And unfortunately, I was not able to watch it because it is a newer documentary. I think in like March, April time of this year, they actually got like invited to the, I think it's called the San Francisco Film Festival, which was like a huge honor apparently in the film industry. A lot of people got to view it. Um, I've watched a couple interviews. I've read a few articles about it and I cannot wait for it to actually be like available. Like somebody, like Amazon Netflix, somebody pick up this documentary because I really, 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 really want to watch it. Yeah. But I did get to hear a little bit about what's in it. So whenever it's available, we'll make sure and note it on our Instagram. So follow us there if you don't already. Shameless plug. Yes. In this documentary, Dr. Lawrence's wife at the time says that one day at home while watching Sybil, do do you know what Sybil is? What? Probably not. What is You're that? Young. You don't no. know what Sybil is. Sybil was a show. I think it was like a three-part show that was, it was based off of a, a woman's life who had like a bunch of trauma in her childhood. And she ended up creating, I think it was 16, 13 or 16 different personalities. So it was based off of a woman who had gone oh. through a lot of trauma and was suffering with D, uh, DID. So dissociative identity disorder. Okay. At the time, it's known as multiple personality disorder. Yeah. But nowadays, it's called DID. So she's watching Sybil and Dr. Lawrence ends up saying, I want to do the same thing. I don't want to be just an ordinary psychiatrist. I want to be famous and I've got a patient just like that. What? End quote. So that was a quote that she she ends up saying in the thing. Oh my God. Then Dr. Lawrence picked up the phone and called Michelle Smith. Ugh. Now, Marilyn, the 
wife at the time, said that it just exploded from there. He began hypnosis therapy with Michelle and spent hours upon hours upon hours with her. They recorded every single session detailing all of the recovered memories she was having and he would take meticulous notes and then also during these sessions, he would even lay with Michelle on the couch and eventually on the floor when she was like under hypnosis and he was helping her. hell? Yeah. Dr. Lawrence even gave Michelle his home phone number and Marilyn said that she began calling incessantly and would hound the family and would even follow them to their family events and their family vacations. Okay. Okay. What? This is not awkward. It's giving sister wife. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, Dr. Lawrence was a devout Catholic and he wholeheartedly believed Michelle's recovered memories. And his wife at the time, Marilyn, says that. Like she she knew that her husband a thousand percent believed he believed Michelle's recovered memories, like that this was actual facts and actual stuff that went on. <laughs> where did he go to school? I need to know where he graduated from. That's I don't. That's what I'm taking issue with. I'm sure it's on his wiki page. I'm pretty sure. Probably. So since he was a devout Catholic, he had all the recorded sessions uh, transcribed and he also told the local priest about the recovered memories. They also brought in the local bishop on what was going on, and they all traveled to Rome together and told the Pope about the satanic ritual abuse that Michelle endured. The Pope? At the age of five. The Pope. The Pope himself. They had a meeting with the Pope, the man, the big one. All righty. Marilyn said that this book and his time with Michelle was consuming his entire life. Like he was incessantly (laughs) consumed by all of it, right? Not shocked. Um, She goes, he was basically obsessed. And after the book came out, they both turned into celebrities going on TV, radio, tour, all of the above. Uh, The media uh, tracked down Michelle's family during this time and found that her mom had died years Mm -hmm. before this. And her estranged father was horrified, horrified at the allegations and was adamantly denying all of them, um, along with the rest of her family. All of them denied any of this ever happened. Uh, Her sister says that their mom was very loving and was even a Christian woman herself who used faith as a way and to like comfort and a source of comfort and hope for her and the kids growing up because their father was an unpredictable alcoholic. Oh. And so she used faith to help them. Yeah. And so the sister's like, how the hell did she get this connection? Like, that's the <laughs> opposite of like the life we had with our mom. After a few years of the book's release, Marilyn and Dr. Lawrence got divorced. She was fed up with everything and she was even hurt because a picture was put out like in the public uh, newspaper or something of Dr. Lawrence treating Michelle during one of her like hypnosis um, and she's just in her bra. What? No shirt. <laughs> the disrespect. Why? I said your mom is a hoe. Why? Good why? Lord. I just, I don't know why he was like, yeah, that's a good one. Use that picture. Like why? How does that make it more effective or like? I have no I idea. Know. No idea. Did she take off the shirt or did you remove the shirt, sir? No. Yeah, I'd I'd have some questions, but we don't know. Uh, Michelle ends up also divorcing her husband, which allegedly he was very blindsided by. He did not see that coming. And it is said that it tore apart their entire family. 
Now, not long after uh, that, Michelle and Dr. Lawrence get married. Uh, the happy oh, wow. couple. <laughs> the happy couple. Can you imagine? Yeah, it wasn't okay. well known for a while, but when it did come out, many thought it was highly inappropriate. Like, uh, you don't say. Come on. Yeah. One FBI agent says uh, in this documentary, apparently, that at a conference, cops were asking Dr. Lawrence, he was like a speaker at this conference. Mm -hmm. I think it was like a conference on satanic ritual abuse. I'm pretty sure it was like (laughs) just on that. Don't quote me on that, but I'm pretty sure. So Dr. Lawrence is giving a speech and all these cops are asking him questions. And after a handful of questions, this FBI agent's like, why isn't Michelle answering these questions? Like, this is her lived experience. Oh, she was there too? Yeah. He's like, she's not like, She's not even answering him. She kept looking for him for answers. And so this FBI agent raised his hand and was like, hey, why isn't Michelle answering any of this? Like, why are you answering all this? Like when she's the one that's recovered these memories, she's the one that's gone through this abuse. Yeah. Dr. Lawrence actually says that after the lengthy time under hypnosis and recovering the memories, that the memories left Michelle's mind and now he held the story. Oh, <laughs> magic. He's what? he's not just a therapist. He's got something else happening. What? Maybe he is the satanic panic. <laughs> right? So she's under hypnosis. She's saying all this wild stuff and doing all of this. And if she's like, I don't know that, like, I've never been under hypnosis. I don't know how legit it is. I've heard it's legit. I've also heard that's not. I don't. Mm. It is. I have seen it with my own eyes. Yeah. I've never had it done to me because I do not trust anyone. The only time I've ever seen it was like at a lock-in. It was like senior year lock-in. Oh my God. And the guy did it, but it was also a lot of seniors. And so it's like, meh, like, peer pressure so like played it up yeah yeah so I like I've never seen it myself so I can't talk on it but like let's just be play on the side of of yes it's real I'm actually surprised that the church didn't or like people in general if they were undergoing the satanic panic didn't also qualify hypnosis as like part of that you know you know what? That's a good question. And because how many times, and I don't know if this was the way it was for you within religion, but like how many times like going to a therapist or getting on yeah. medication or anything was demonized? Like, yes, you just need Jesus, just pray more, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. But like this woman is actively seeing a psychiatrist. She's It's bad if you have to seek out a therapist. Yeah. And this woman's getting put under hypnosis, but that's okay. Yeah. But also like, that tracks because like they're just being hypocritical and that's how it always is. Agree. So in 2004, uh, Dr. Lawrence ends up dying, um, but Michelle is still alive and her sister says, uh, her sister Cheryl ends up saying that, quote, Michelle is living in hell because the story has haunted my family for years. We pretend that we're a family, but there's always a feeling of how could you do the damage that you did by telling this story that wasn't true, end quote. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine the trauma that that would put on somebody or they would have to go through being told like you actually went through all of this and like I'm sure at times she really did believe it and she may still believe parts of it. Yeah. And so like how do you like it was probably more traumatic 
recover, quote unquote, I'm using air quotes, like recovering these memories and being told you went through all this when in reality, you didn't. And it probably, I mean, I know that her like siblings and her parents and everything were pretty like, we know that that stuff didn't happen. But you'd think too, maybe her siblings questioned, did some of this happen? Or like, am I not remembering things? Right. Or like, was this only with her? Like, I mean, did I have... Do I need to uncover things? Yeah, right. I'm sure it was absolutely crazy. So now we're going to get into another part. Now, really quickly before I get into this last part, I will talk about there was a lot during this time, during the 80s and stuff, that like Satan was controlling a lot of infiltrating a lot of like music and rock was getting very up in arms. (laughs) Ozzy Osbourne was like a really big thing. Um, Many like Christian mothers ended up going to, I think it was like Congress or something, the government basically, and was like, the music that our children are listening to are horrible and we need to have some kind of guidelines and restrictions. And through them going to the government on this, that was the parental advisory sticker Mm -hmm. or label that was born that was put on CDs or the explicit E, you know. I wanted that tattooed on my body in high school. (laughs) Yes, you did. Yeah, that tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I am a parental advisory at this point, though. Right. We both are. Right. That's, that's why our podcast has an E. You know, we can mm-hmm. thank these ladies for doing that. But it also, it like, and I say this a lot when it comes to Christians and their, like, freaking hysteria over certain things. They are their own self-fulfilling prophecy because, like, they're like, oh, my gosh, this music is so bad. We need restrictions. So then they go to the government. They get this parental advisory. What does that make teenagers do? Rebel. It made it 10 times easier for them to listen to the music their parents didn't want them to listen to because now all they had to do was look for the CDs and the music with the parental advisory sticker on it. That is true. So congratulations, you just made it 10 times easier for your children. There was also a lot of hysteria during this time that CDs, uh, not CDs, there was also records during like the 80s, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're right, you're right. If you played the track backwards, that it was a hidden message from Satan. Yes, And these famous musicians were trying to just infiltrate you know, the music and like get these messages into these teens at a young age and get them like hooked on Satan. Also during this time, Ozzy Osbourne was playing a concert and one of his people in the audience decided that like, hey, I want to throw something on stage. You know, a lot of people do that. They throw stuff on stage to like give it to their musicians. You know, a lot of girls throwing their panties. Uh, This guy was like, you know what? I want to throw a dead bat. Oh, <laughs> why? I don't, I don't know. But Ozzy sees the dead bat, grabs the dead bat and bites on bites his, his head, head off. and bites his head off. That went wild. Christian parents clutched their pearls and about fucking fainted because Satan himself was like in the music. And that was just like, that was obvious. Satan is obvious right there in our faces. Yeah. So there's also that hysteria with music and rock and everything. And what I had noticed, especially coming out of Christianity, when there is this like label on people that like you're sad, you're evil, you're going to hell for being a witch or this or that, 
Mm -hmm. A lot of the people within those communities are like, fuck it. And they just like sink into that label. And they're like, if you're gonna call me a devil worshiper, let me put an upside down pentagram on my head. You know, like- Exactly. Just, like really lean into it for sure. Let me really make you clutch your goddamn pearls. And they did. I wanted to throw that in before we get into the very last section. Now, we are going to be talking in this last section about daycare child sexual abuse hysteria. No. Yeah. This no. is This is in my- this is, in my opinion, the worst of the worst when it comes to the satanic panic. Okay. And I, I doubt you will argue with that. Now, due to the majority of all the satanic ritual abuse claims that people were coming forward with and recovering these memories, since a lot of this was retain, pertaining to child abuse, this led to, like what I said, is called today or known as today, daycare child sexual abuse hysteria. So the first and most well-known case is that of the McMartin Daycare in Manhattan Beach, California. Wow, I don't know that. <laughs> well, <laughs> the you most well about known. Satanic I panic. do not know. If you it's know true. about the satanic panic, then then you would know. But you don't, and that's why we're here today. <laughs> heard that. Heard so that, in heard. 1983, a woman named Judy Johnson called the police to report that her son, who was two and a half years old at this time, had been sodomized by two men one being her ex-husband, the kid's father, as well as a 25-year-old man named Ray Bucky. Ray was a daycare employee at the McMartin Daycare. He was the son of Peggy McMartin, who was the um, administrator of the daycare. And he was also Mm -hmm. the grandson of Virginia McMartin, who was actually the founder um, and owner of this uh, preschool. I think it was a preschool, preschool daycare, something of that sort. Judy Johnson believed her son had been sexually abused because he was having painful bowel movements. Oh, no. And so that's what led her to believe that he was... I was wondering, uh, I was like, did you find blood? Or like, what is happening? He was a little constipated. And so her brain went straight to, you've been sodomized. Uh. Now, it's not confirmed whether the boy denied or confirmed the abuse after his mom alleged that that's what had happened to him. He was also two and a half. So I'm going to go out on a limb here (laughs) and say he didn't know what the fuck was going on. (laughs) And he did not understand. (laughs) Same, dude, same. Right. So the police proceed forward um, and they end up arresting Ray Bucky um, and they searched his home. During the search, they took a rubber deck, a graduation robe, a teddy bear, and Playboy magazines as evidence. Okay. Why was a rubber ducky and a graduation robe and a teddy bear evidence? I have no idea. I'm really wondering about the graduation robe. I can kind of see the toys. Yeah, like... Being relevant, maybe, but like what? Right. <laughs> but like the graduation room. Also, uh, what I think he was, I think Ray Bucky was like 25 years old around this time. Oh. Uh, also, what 25 year old didn't have Playboy magazines? So, uh, like, how's that? Yeah. How's that evidence? But also, remember, we're in the 80s. So, standards okay. yeah. are very high. Now, um, it's important to note that the little boy only attended the daycare a total of 10 times. I think think over the past like previous year from this accusation coming forward. Also, he couldn't pick Ray Bucky out of a lineup. The police tried to have the two and a half year old pick out Ray and he didn't even know who who he was. Uh, Mm. So because of lack of evidence, uh, Ray was released later that same day that he was arrested. But the police, of course, 
did not let this stop them. They decided to see if any of the other children at the daycare were also abused. So they sent out a letter to about 200 other current (gasps) and former children that attended the daycare. Panic. Uh All right. Panic ensues. I have the letter and we're going to read it. Okay. Are none of you parents? Do you not realize the panic in which this would lead to? (sighs) Right. Okay. Okay. It's like saying, (laughs) this is what I feel like this letter says. It's like saying, we have an asteroid that's going to collide to Earth and destroy everything. But don't panic. <laughs> well, I, that's, that's no, the building's on fire, but don't panic. Don't panic. Yeah, there you no go. No need. That's, that's, a good, that's probably a better <laughs> correlation. Okay, so let's read this letter. So it says, Dear Parent, this department is conducting a criminal investigation involving child molestation. Ray Bucky, an employee of Virginia McMartin Preschool, was arrested September 7th, 1983 by this department. Mind you, this letter was sent out September 8th. So they didn't wait very long to send this out. One whole goddamn day. The following procedure is obviously an an unpleasant one, but to protect the rights of your children as well as the rights of the accused, this inquiry is necessary for a complete investigation. Records indicate that your child has been or is currently a student at the preschool. We are asking your assistance in this continuing investigation. Please question your child to see if he or she has been a witness to any crime or if he or she has been a victim. Our investigation indicates that possible criminal acts include oral sex, fondling of genitals, buttocks, or chest area. Photos may have been taken of children without their clothing. Any information from your child regarding having ever observed Ray Bucky to leave a classroom alone with a child during any nap period, or if they ever observed Ray Bucky tie up a child is important. What? Please complete the enclosed information form and return it to this department in the enclosed stamped return envelope as soon as possible. We will contact you if circumstances dictate the same. We ask you to please keep this investigation strictly confidential because of the nature of the charges and the highly emotional effect it could have on our community. Please do not discuss this investigation with anyone outside your immediate family. Do not contact or discuss the investigation with Raymond Bucky any member of the accused defendant's family or employee connected with the McMartin Preschool. Now, the very last paragraph of this letter is in all capital letters. And it says, (laughs) there is no evidence to indicate that the management of Virginia McMartin's preschool had any knowledge of this situation and no detrimental information concerning the operation of the school has been discovered during this investigation. Also, no other employee in the school is under investigation for any criminal act. Okay, firstly, the letter is just giving bureaucrat. (laughs) 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 It's giving, uh, like, fill out this nice paperwork because your child may have <laughs> and I'm like it's not funny but your child may yeah. have been sexually assaulted what also why am I doing your job I was gonna say why am I as an emotionally charged involved parent that is directly involved to this you know scenario yeah I am not a you know impartial third party I am very much partial to this my child why am I doing the interview of my own child. Yeah, agree. I, I, I'm not a trained police you don't officer. Know what I'm to not a ask. trained investigator and interviewer. Right. And and that's exactly what happened. These parents interview their children. Hmm. And they're so in a frenzy over all of this that 
kids lie, right? And like kids don't understand of what's course going not. on no. nine out of 10 times when it's adult stuff, especially in preschool ages. And so the parents aren't believing them when they say, no, nothing happened because they're like, but did something happen? And you just don't understand what you saw. And so parents are pushing and pushing. And eventually, a little fi- kids finally start saying, yeah, we saw X, Y, and Z. And then, yeah. I mean, it gets wild, right? Okay. So as the investigation was going on and the parents are filling out these forms, they're sending them in. And now more kids are like, we were the part of satanic rituals. Oh my gosh. <sighs> Judy... And Judy Johnson, this woman, she kept calling the investigators and making outlandish claims, including that some of the daycare staff did sexual acts with animals, that Peggy had drilled holes under the arms of one kid, what? and even claimed that Ray Bucky could fly. Okay. Guys. I know it's the 80s. We've established this. And that the critical uh-huh. thinking skills of some people are just a bit under par but <laughs> it it was it this is more than gosh. far reaching i think i have notes like she was interviewed multiple times um especially when she's calling and continuing to make all these outlandish claims i have notes from one of the interviewers mm-hmm. like who was you know just taking notes as she's like making all these claims these are the the notes the person took okay okay billy describes having communion in a church I think Billy was her two-and-a-half-year-old child. She claimed to have been sodomized. A prayer similar in sound to the Lord's Prayer was recited. A goat climbed up higher, higher, (laughs) higher. Then a bad man threw it down the stairs. It woke up later. Ray poked Peggy at the altar. (laughs) (laughs) Lots of... (laughs) Sorry, that was just a Ray poked Peggy at the altar. Lots of candles. They were black. Ray picked his... Prick. I think he's supposed to say pricked. Ray pricked his right pointer finger. It bled. <laughs> Ray put it in goat... God damn, why do I have to say this? <sighs> Ray put it in the goat's anus. I Nobody knew you'd say it goes in the goat's butt. It's in the goat's butt. Things I never thought would come out of my damn mouth. Uh, nobody had clothes on under the robes. Billy had a robe on too. They put a Band-Aid on his finger. Old grandma played the piano. Lots of threats were made against Billy and his family. It is unclear whether it was a doll or a real baby. Billy says real baby, but the head was chopped off and the brains were burned. Billy said Peggy killed the baby. Peggy had scissors in the church and she cut Billy's hair. Billy had to drink the baby's blood. Ray wanted Billy's spit. He put it on the altar. The baby was big, like Billy. So when I said he pricked his finger, mm-hmm. like I think they're saying, I think she's saying Ray pricked Billy's finger and put oh. Billy's finger in the goat's anus. Okay, Billy, the two and a half year old. I was thinking, I was thinking Billy was witnessing this. Okay, I I have children. Okay. I, I I have children. Yeah, tell us your thoughts because all I of my children are above babies. two and a half years old. Mm-hmm. All of my kids are above two and a half years old. So I am trying to remember my child telling me a story at two and a half. Mm-hmm. And it is the most jumbled of mess. <laughs> and especially a lot of kids around that age, their brain is thinking faster than their mouth can speak. So there's a lot of stuttering. So they feel like, and then, um, and, and, the, and they said this, and then we went over, but then like I was, it's like that. 
It's just a yes. lot of like started sentences, but not a lot of finishing. No two and a half year old, I think, could actually come up with all of this. No way. Come to find out, Judy was actually soon diagnosed with paranoid schizophrenia. And it was known that she was struggling with her mental illness for some time prior to her claiming that her son had been sexually abused. She also struggled with alcoholism. And in December of 1986, she was actually found dead in her home and the coroner ruled her death to be brought on by her alcoholism. Now, by the time the police and the investigators find out about Judy's mental illness, they had already sent out the letter. No. Parents had already called back in. The hysteria had already started. They really did jump the and gun. And since other children had claimed, yes, and since other children had claimed to allegedly be abused, they had no choice but to continue forward. Mind you, Ray Bucky was arrested on September 7th. They sent this damn letter out on September 8th. They, they, they didn't give their investigation much fucking time. No. They were just, I mean, full bore. So 400 kids were interviewed <sighs> no. by a woman named Key McFarland at the Children's Institute International. These interviews were highly problematic. Uh, a lot of these interviews were recorded, and so they could actually go back and watch the recorded interviews. The interviews were two hours long. What? With a two-year-old? Yeah, two, three, and four-year-olds. Are you kidding me? Uh-uh. They were also highly suggestive, um, and Key would keep pushing even after the child said no abuse happened. Like she would not take no as the answer. And so she would push and push and push. During the interviews, Key's Key, sorry, that's right, Key, had the kids use their imagination and speculate on what they thought happened. And she would even offer the children rewards if they were honest about the abuse they endured. What? Okay. Yeah. It was basically like, tell me what I want to hear. And so the kids were like, oh, I get a Tootsie Pop. Okay. Oh, my God. I saw Ray fly. I just had a baby's head off. <laughs> like, what the hell? <sighs> I just wonder. I know that, like, in the moment, we make things, we, like, justify it and we have a reason for everything. But, like. It's so hard to wrap your head around, like, how the hell did you believe this? And these are adults that I'm assuming have, like, education and training and, like, which I know they have a long way to go in in some fields. However. But also, I used to believe that you could say a prayer and somebody would be raised from the dead. So. Uh, very true. You know, the brainwashing doesn't, it's not that far. And, and, and Yeah, I used to believe in virginity, so. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. You know, being brainwashed and convinced into things like this, yeah. it's not that far off for, for a lot of people. Knowledge and, is and money. These money highly is educated pizza. people, unfortunately. That's why even cults, and we will cover cults in the future, that like there can be very prominent people. But if you are vulnerable for some reason at some time, you're just easier to get sucked in. It's very but true. that doesn't mean you're not smart or uneducated. True. And I feel like this was part of that scenario. And, you know, they were probably feeling the pressure to get answers, especially answers that would satisfy certain groups of people. And you want to believe kids. You do, yeah. And you want to believe kids. And you want to you want to do what's right by kids. And so I think everybody's like Mama Bear and Papa Bear were just like raging and nobody was seeing clearly. Nobody was thinking clearly. Yeah. It was just everyone was getting lost 
in this. You're too close area. to it because you're a parent, you know? Yeah. Which I can't blame him. I, 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 if I was living back in the eighties with kids, I'd have probably been right up in all of this and been terrified the fuck, out, you know? Oh, I think I would have also. Imagine one of your kids gets sent home with a fucking letter like that. Are you kidding me? I'm ripping the door off its fucking hinges. Like, mm-mm. and I think a lot of parents could be like, okay, kids made the accusations that they were sexually abused and then they also made the accusations that Ray Bucky could fly. Okay, like kids can embellish. So like I could see that. Mm-hmm. I could probably like justify it in my brain and be like, that was an embellishment, but this was the truth. Like, yeah, I can probably see that, me saying that. So that's probably what a lot of that happened. Yeah. You know, during this time as well. So, okay, 400 kids, they're interviewed, offer all this, right? So in the end, the kids cave, tell her what she wants. By February of 1984, it was said that 384 kids had been abused at the McMartin Preschool. Now, on top of being interviewed, this part makes me so mad. On top of being interviewed, 150 of the kids were given a medical examination. A sexual abuse (gasps) medical examination. These children... Do you know how invasive and traumatic those are? Yeah. 150 kids had to go through that. Now, out of the 150, only six of them were found to have signs of sexual abuse. Oh my God. Only six. But that, of course, wasn't adding up to Key's, you know, other numbers. So she decides to go back through and examine the children under a very high-powered magnifying glass and found a very fine microscopic scarring and said that that was evidence of sexual abuse. So in the end, Key McFarland... That can happen from them scratching themselves. That can happen from shitting too big of a turd. I was going to say, like, the micro fissures (laughs) that happen, I mean, like... Yeah. Like... And I I recently learned this in the last, like, three years from my gynecologist. But, like, she had told me something to the effect of, like, every time that you have sex, even if you have a lot of lubrication, you get micro fissures. Oh. You know, in your vaginal canal. It doesn't matter if it's, like, you've used a shit ton of lube or you're, like, super ready to go doesn't matter. Like, you're always going to get it any type of... She said, if you scratch yourself down there or like... That skin, especially on a woman's vagina, that oh, skin yes. is so... Oh, yeah. and so thin. And too, I'm sure like, you know, on, on, the, on the bum hole too, it's that skin yeah. that's on the very outside is probably extremely sensitive yeah. as well. It's the same thing. So... Exactly. So yeah, that would make sense. Little micro fissures are there even if sexual assault was not an actual thing. Yeah. Right. So remember that six children. Okay. Remember that six number. Okay. In the end. So basically, um, after she decides that that is sign of sexual abuse, she then concludes that out of the 150, about 80% showed physical signs of sexual abuse. <laughs> now, the alleged abuse was outlandish. Uh, The kids were saying that they were taken up in hot air balloons. They went to churches and did satanic rituals. They sacrificed babies and even traveled through tunnels under the daycare. They were, you know, sexually assaulted and and much, much more. Now, in March of 1984, Ray Bucky was charged and arrested along with Virginia McMartin, the grandmother, Mm. Peggy, the mom, and Peggy, the sister. So 
Peggy Jr., as well as several other co-workers of the daycare. They were all charged with a total of 115 counts, but later that number was increased to 321 counts. Oh my God. I don't understand anything. Nothing makes sense. Yeah. Nothing. So two years later in 1986, the grandmother, the sisters, and the other co-workers charges were dropped by the DA because they didn't have enough evidence. And so they were like, "There's, we can't try any of them. So they thankfully got all of their charges dropped. Hmm. The sister was a special education teacher who helped at the preschool from time to time. And when she was charged, um, her teacher teaching license was revoked. Oh, After yeah. her charges were dropped, she tried to get her teaching license back, but it was denied. Mm. Later, a judge finally overruled this and allowed her to get her teaching license back. Oh, good, good. But that, but at yeah, what cost? I can't imagine. Yeah, so much, so much. Peggy, the mom, she spent two years in custody before she was let out on bail with a $300,000 bond, which in today's money is about $833,000. The McMartin preschool case had two trials that were conducted. The first lasted from July 13th, 1987 to January 18th, 1990. Oh, this trial took three years. Wow. Three years. During the trial, the prosecution tried to hide or diminish Judy Johnson's mental illness by stating that her mental health problems were brought on by the abuse her child endured and the stress of the investigation. Now, this trial, I I am, when I tell you I am zooming through this, I am zooming through this. Okay. There's so much that happened in this trial. Literally, for three three years. I mean, yeah. Lord have mercy. The trial was a shit show full of he said, she said, and a mix of professionals just fucking contradicting everybody. I mean, it was it was a circus. <laughs> On January 18th, 1990, after the jury spent nine weeks deliberating. Oh. Nine fucking weeks. Peggy McMartin Bucky was acquitted on all counts while Ray Bucky was cleared on 52 of the 65 counts, leaving 13 counts still standing against him. Mm. But at this time, he was finally let out of jail on bail with a $1.5 million bond, which would be $3.5 million today. Wow. At this point, Ray Bucky, at 25 years old, he had spent more than five years in jail. Poor guy. Five years. Ray Bucky was then retried later on that year. I think the trial, yeah, the trial started in May uh, of 1990. And he was retried on six of the 13 remaining counts. I'm not sure why he wasn't tried on all 13 counts, but he was only tried on six of them. But after almost three months trial, which three months is crazy. Still, they tried him for three months. It ended with a hum jury. The prosecution then finally gave up and decided to stop trying to convict Ray Bucky. The case was then closed and all remaining charges against Ray were dismissed. All that for nothing. All that for fucking They spent $1.5 million, was it? $1.5 million? I thought it was more. Maybe it was more. Maybe it was $3 million. They either spent $1.5 million or $3.5 million on this case, on wow. trying this case. Wasting over all that our taxpayer money. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Thanks. Now, Ray eventually changed his name. 
he moved and he even went to law school. I'm pretty sure he's married with children now, but he is, he lives the quiet life. Thank God. Everybody leave him alone. He's been through enough. Gah. Seriously. To this day, some of the kids still claim to have been abused while others have come forward admitting they fabricated the claims of abuse. One kid named Kyle actually told the LA Times in 2005 that he had made it all up and that at the time, he actually didn't even know who Ray Becky was. Yeah. Hey, you can't blame a little child for making up a story, you know? Especially with the times and then the parents and the... the, incessant questioning and like, oh, okay, do you want to, like, oh, this is what you want to hear? Oh, okay, yeah. Like, I saw him cut a baby's head off, you know? You know, too, also with, I know when I was a kid, if you looked to me for information, I felt important and I wanted Mm -hmm. to talk, you know? Right. So even if I didn't have shit to say, I'd still do it. Mm Mm-hmm. So. Same, same. And I... Like these kids, I had their parents asking questions, uh, probably police and investigators, interviewers at the Institute where they were interviewed, mm-hmm. doctor, like they had all the attention. And so I'm yeah. sure they just fell right into it. Now, these claims against the McMartin preschool started in 1983 and mm-hmm. didn't conclude until 1990. During this period of time, the daycare child sexual abuse hysteria was out there wilding. And many cases like this started popping up all across the U.S. Many of the accused actually spent many years in jail and had the same kind of horrible investigations and manipulated interviews with the children. The same exact shit that the McMartin trial and the McMartins all went through. These other cases went through the same shit as well. Yeah. At least in the McMartin case, everyone who was accused and eventually had their names cleared. But there are many cases where the accused spent a decade or more in prison and never got their names cleared. Some of them still have charges against them or are still in prison or at least on probation. Oh my God. Yeah, like it's, it's it was bad. This is horrible. Yeah, the hysteria broke up families, trashed reputations, caused so much trauma for the children, parents, uh, uh, parents, the accused, even those involved in trials because they're having to hear all of this kind of horrific abuse to children, to mm-hmm. babies, to like, the, the, and all of it's fake, Ugh. but they're being told it's real. And so like all of this, I can't imagine the fucking trauma. And if any of those people had like actually endured trauma before. And, okay. Yes. And like legitimately, and then had to like almost relive yes. it in that way. It's just uh. one of the, biggest problems, in my opinion, is that there was so much hysteria and misconduct in the investigations that it probably meant that real child children who actually were sexual assault victims didn't get the justice that they deserved. But as remember, oh, yeah. they had interviewed over 400 children. Yeah. And then the medical examinations of 150 kids, six of them. And what about the six? Showed signs of sexual abuse. What about the six? And that doesn't mean that they endured that at the hands of Ray Bucky or at this daycare. No, that can be their parents or exactly family stuff, you know? Most people, God, children who are victims of sexual abuse, it is by the hands of somebody they know, somebody very close to them, usually a family member or close family friend. Exactly. And so those children 
didn't get their justice. Like, I can't help but think of those six kids. I sure hope that they ended up getting help. I know. Me, Me too. Now, unfortunately, the roots of the satanic panic are still alive and very well today. Gross. A more recent example of the, you know, satanic panic hysteria is the Pizzagate conspiracy that emerged in 2016. Do you know the Pizzagate conspiracy? I'm sorry? What? You do not know the Pizzagate conspiracy? Oh my God. Okay, let me fill you in and I'm going to, again, just zoom through this. This is way more that goes on. Give me the gist, yeah. Based off of in 2016, so remind, like 2016, what's going on? Presidential election, Hillary Clinton, Trump. That's what's going on right now. Yeah. Based off of some leaked emails that were, I think, from somebody on Hillary's like campaign person. Mm-hmm. So based off of these emails that were leaked, yeah. uh, people claimed that they were full of codes that referenced a huge child sex trafficking ring that was ran by or at least involved many Democratic politicians and a pizza, like ping pong local joint in uh, Washington, D.C. I, I had it written down as Pizza Comet, but I think it was called like Comet Ping Pong. I think Mm. is what it's called. And it was like a pizza joint. Oh, okay. Um, It was a local small business and they found themselves in the center of this conspiracy. Now, one Reddit user, (laughs) yeah, one Reddit user stated, and I'm going to just read off what he wrote on Reddit. It has been the venue for dozens of events for the Hillary campaign staff. John Podesta has had campaign fundraisers there for both Barack Obama and Hillary Clinton. John's brother and business partner, Tony Podesta, has his birthday party there every year. It's also a dive that, according to reviews and photos, has hidden bathroom doors and creepy murals. The bathrooms in particular have murals exclusively of nude women, as well as a great deal of graffiti relating to sex. Reviews of the restaurant are bizarrely polarized. Websites describing it positively note that there are regularly, quote, unsupervised children running around, end quote. Their menu includes a pedophilic symbol, as do the signs and decorations of other neighboring businesses. The music acts and the posters promoting the same acts are bizarre in their presentation, content, and lyrical focus, but are still promoted as being Quote, for all ages, the overtly sexual content would suggest otherwise. The same has taken place in reference to videos recorded inside Comet Ping Pong by people that frequent their establishment, as well as video referencing Comet Ping Pong positively from the ex- exterior. While initially not the central focus of the investigation at the onset, Comet Ping Pong is a much more overt and much more disturbing hub of coincidences. Everyone associated with the business is making semi-overt, semi-tongue-in-cheek, and semi-sarcastic inferences towards sex with minors. The artists that work for and with the business also generate nothing but cultish imagery of disembodiment, blood, beheading, sex, and other, and of course, pizza. Okay, so I knew about all of that stuff with like Hillary okay. and the and the emails mm-hmm. and the and the sex ring stuff, but I didn't mm-hmm. know about the pizza joint. So that just yes connected another it dot was for called me. So Pizza Gate, Pizza yes. Gate. Okay, right. so this conspiracy led to a man named Edgar showing up to a uh, Comet Ping Pong in December of 2016 with his AR-15. Oh shit. Welcome to America. Okay, he was ready to be the hero. 
to all of the children trapped in sex trafficking, hidden behind all the closed and locked and secret doors and Comet Ping Pong. And he started shooting. Uh, but thankfully, no one was hurt. Um, oh, and good. the police subdued him before anyone did. I think he hit like a desk, a wall, and maybe a counter or something like that. He only got three shots off, which... Good. Uh, I, I don't know. But yeah, he was arrested. He was charged. I think he was sentenced to like four years mm. of like crossing state lines with a weapon. He he got a felony, at least, uh, maybe a few. Now, then, a handful of years later, um, in January of 2019, the restaurant suffered an arson attack in one of their back rooms. The staff put out the fire in time, but the arsonist got away. A few days later, he was caught, and it was found that he had posted QAnon conspiracies on his social media before he started the fire. Ugh. Oh. Now... Unfortunately, the Comet Ping Pong uh, restaurant wasn't the only restaurant in the area to receive harassment. Many of the other like local restaurants around received a rush of threats and harassment in person and by phone, including multiple death threats. These poor people are just trying to fucking live their life, run their small business, and just have at it. But no, they're getting now death threats. Uh, most it's just pizza. Good Lord. I know. So most, if not all, of the satanic panic frenzy was pushed by, you heard it here, Christians. Wow. <laughs> the same goes for the crazy QAnon conspiracy theories that started in 2016 and continue even today. They are pushed mostly, I will say mostly, not all, mostly conservative Christians. What the hell, guys? So, I said Taylor Swift is going to be brought up, right? I'm, I'm waiting. So the satanic, the satanic panic is very alive and well today. After I finished my notes today, guys, I was very excited to talk about this case. And then, you know, I thought, you might get on my phone and I'm going to do a little scrolly of the tiki-taki and of the Instagram. And I, and I found a video and I'm just going to, to play for you the very beginning of this video. Oh. So you can... Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. Famous people who worship Satan, part seven, Taylor Swift. Famous people who worship Satan, Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. This is part seven. This is part seven. This guy has, um, I don't know, like 12 or 15, something like that. Oh. Uh, 11, sorry. Sorry, 11 parts of a famous people who worship Satan. And he goes on in his video um, and he references Taylor like it being so good in the beginning and like it was totally fine. But then Taylor, oh my God, she started wearing red. Oh. Oh shit. She started wearing red. Satan, guys. Damn. Oh, red Go flag. off. Go off. Yeah. He goes on after that to be like, okay, but like that would be a little much if I pointed out the whole like wearing red. And I'm like, but you just did. You just did, though. You you say it's crazy, but you literally just pointed out the. Red I thought you were going to say because of the snakes and stuff, like from Reputation. Oh, oh, he goes on. He goes on to be like Satan in her, like music and her being pro-choice and oh, claiming yeah. to be a Christian and being pro-choice and like, oh, that's Satan worship and um, she practices witchcraft and so if she practices witchcraft, apparently. Then, like, she's also worshiping Satan. Well, yeah, I sure hope she does. No, she doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? It's like, and so I just like, I was watching that video. I was like, oh my God, the satanic panic. It's still, yeah, we're not having the daycare frenzy, which thank God, Jesus Christ. But 
like it's still alive and well. Like they blame everybody. Did you see the video of the woman that gets off the plane and she's freaking the fuck out? Yes. And she's like, that man in the back, he is not real. Yeah, yeah. I saw a video today of these people talking about like, what do you think she saw? I think she saw demons. And I'm like, oh my God, guys, chill the fuck out. Apparently, from what I have heard, she, the guy that was sitting beside her made a comment about like wanting to take the whole plane down before they took off. And she got scared and was like, get me the fuck off this plane. I was like, bitch, I'd have been right there fucking behind you. I got off that plane too. I, Uh yeah. She spoke with such conviction. I don't know if she actually was drunk, but I don't really... She wasn't. She wasn't drunk and she has no mental illness. Yeah. I can't remember what her name is. She didn't seem like she was drunk. She seemed just very like distressed. Yes. There was a girl, there's a girl on TikTok and you guys will comment on our Instagram after listening to this and tell me who she is because I cannot think of her name. But she always has, she's like, hey, bitches, like how she starts her TikToks. Oh, I can't think of her. But she is friends with somebody who is friends with the girl in the video. And so she kind of got a rundown of what happened. And apparently that's what happened. She was not drunk. She literally went on vacation and then came back to like (laughs) her being viral. And I'm like, oh my God. I hope she gives us her side of the story because like I would have been fucking terrified too. I'd love to hear it. You're welcome on the show. Anytime. right? Anytime. Email us at deadlyfitpodcast at (laughs) gmail.com. Please. Or jump into our DMs. I, I that sounded like I said demons. Oh yeah, <laughs> I said jump into our DMs, and it sounded like I said jump into our demons. Either way, we're here for it. You know, we'll we'll go yeah, for it. Seriously, you know, satanic panic. I I kind of thought it was a dead thing. Mm-hmm. You talking about it being like in the eighties and a little bit in the nineties, and I could definitely see it was like all the rock and roll, sex, drugs stuff mm-hmm. that. Yeah. Definitely being like a trigger, and then D and D and the childcare stuff and everything. It's like okay, but I just kind of thought it. <laughs> I thought we grew more brain cells, <laughs> right? Like it's in our past. But then QAnon, like I think QAnon, and like I just talked about Pizzagate. There's so many other conspiracies with with QAnon and yeah, uh, with our government and like not all of them are Christians who believe this stuff, but. It's it's heavily. It's like it evolves. It like changes shape of what it is. Like it does. It's, it's the same satanic panic, but it just like changes mm-hmm. shape over time to different things. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I, maybe it'll never die. I don't. I don't think it will. Honestly. That's fine. I mean, worse things have happened, I guess. But yeah. But Lord, that's a lot. Guys. I know. I'm glad I know about it now. That's the satanic pen. And that is an overview. That is a very, like, it's pretty detailed in in all of the accounts, but there's way more that happened with the satanic panic. There were so many other, like, child abuse daycare cases. Mm. There's so many more, like, people telling their stories of, quote, recovered memories. You know, there's... Yeah. There's a lot. And and I barely touched on the whole music stuff. It just leaks out into so many different realms, it seems. In my opinion, I think a lot of the satanic panic and going along with Christians believing the whole like 
the end is near, <laughs> fire and brimstone type breaching and like all yeah. of that, like the rapture is going to happen any day. Uh, you know, like they predicted the end times like time and time again. And those just kind of go together like fucking peanut butter and jelly. And so like, if you believe in the rapture and you believe in like the end times prophecies and all of that, it's not too off believing in satanic rituals and yeah. them saying that like the satanic you know, church this is all led by the satanic church and like claiming that it was pre predated Christianity and stuff. It doesn't take much for you to go there. And I think a lot of that made Christians even more so start like ostracizing things like trolls saying that's demonic and yeah, you know, music is demonic and D&D and X, Y, I don't like, I, I mean, the list could go on of what is demonic. Like how many times have you heard people say that that's the mark of the beast? When our Apple <laughs> freaking phones, you could do Apple Pay, Apple Pay on our phones. I had somebody close to me say, uh-uh, I'm not putting that on there. That's that's probably the mark of the beast. And they were serious. And I started laughing because I thought they were joking. And I was like, oh my God, you're serious. Like you really believe that Apple Pay is the mark of the beast? What? Not only that. Okay, this is this is another dumb one that I just thought of. But like when I worked in a restaurant, I remember giving someone a receipt that had, it was like $6.66 or something. Yes. And she was like, no, 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 no. Let me buy something else. And I yes. was like, okay. She said, I cannot have yes. anything that says 666. And I was like, okay. Okay. But 666 isn't a bad thing. Like, no. There was a picture that floated around, I think, Facebook. A lot of you have probably seen it. I think it was like at a Costco or a Sam's Club or something. And it was like of the ground beef section. And there, <laughs> all the meat was gone except for one package of ground beef. And it was for sale for $6.66. Yeah. And that was the only package left. And I was like, gee, I wonder why no one's buying this package of ground beef. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh. Um, love that. Yeah. Yeah, so that's the satanic panic, guys. I hope you found it interesting. And, you know, yeah. I, like, I don't want to say you enjoyed it because, I don't know, it, it is kind of enjoyable to laugh at like, some of this stuff. But... It was enjoyable in certain parts where it was like, that's obviously stupid. And then you get to the daycare one and you're like, oh, Jesus Christ. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, because this was very traumatizing for children. What's a good palate cleanser? Yeah, palate cleanser... Mm -hmm. Okay, um, I stabbed myself in the hand. Okay, that's not a palate cleanser. I, I'm going to tell everyone what I did yesterday. Okay. So I am gardening this year. Uh, it's my first time gardening. We bought our house last year. And so we built this really nice garden area. Thanks, Hebby. He listens to all of our episodes because he's the best. <laughs> so I, one of my zucchini plants was like oozing out this like oh, orange. God kind of crumbly stuff out of the stock. And I am growing my zucchini vertically. And so I was like, oh, what the heck is happening to it? So I took a picture of it, posted it to our Facebook group in, in our local area, like gardening local area Facebook group. And I was like, uh, what's happening to my zucchini plant? And they're like, oh, you have vine bores. You need to cut them out. Yeah. And so I was like, huh, what's a vine bore? Uh, it's basically like a grub. They're very gross looking. And so I had to literally cut the stalk of my zucchini and like with an X-Acto knife and like kind of like pry it open a little bit and dig out the grubs. Ended up finding three of them, fed them to my neighbor's chickens. Nice. And 
apparently, so you can use like super cool. The sock will just like heal itself and, you know, fix it. So I like put more dirt on it. Everything was good. And so then I was like packing up all my stuff to go inside. And there is a lid that goes on my X-Acto knife. And so I was holding my gloves. I was holding like something else. And I was holding the X-Acto knife. And I wanted to make sure that the X-Acto knife was in its lid. And I could tell it was kind of loose. And so you guys can't see, but Lola can see because I'm holding my X-Acto knife. Yeah. And so I had it in my hand and I thought like it was loose on the lid. And so I was trying to like push it in and I must have like pulled it out of its lid. And so I literally just took it and shoved it right there in my hand. Oh, shit. In between. So it's right in between your thumb and your finger, that skin in between there. No. I literally stabbed myself. And I was trying to like shove it into the lid. So I I just like really shoved it into my hand. Oh and it's exacto knife. So it's very sharp. And I could, I don't know, I just say this. This is so weird. I could literally feel it cutting my muscle. No, no. No, stop. <laughs> this is not a palate cleanser. This is not a palate cleanser. I now have to come up with a different one. So thank you for that. That is very much not what I wanted. <laughs> it is like the tiniest little cut if oh, you okay. see it. But it goes but it so goes deep. deep. And I literally felt it a good like six inches back on my up my wrist. Put the exact knife I away. Put it, I see you holding it. I Can did. you please put it away? No, no, I'm not holding it. I'm not holding it. What is that then? <laughs> what is what? In your hand. Close up. What are Sorry. you saying? Sorry. <laughs> okay, hold on. Your video is lagging. So <laughs> I'm still seeing. Okay. I am literally standing here with my hands up like, okay. hands up, like cop. And I'm like, what the hell? Okay. <laughs> You just ignore me now, okay? Just okay. Well, you freaked me out picking that thing up oh, that's again. That's so funny. Okay, okay, yeah, it's I down. Have, I'm not touching it. I have a real palate cleanser. Okay, real palate cleanser. Sorry, guys. If we want it, um, me and my one of my best friends the other day decided to make Pinterest boards, like of how we see each other, kind of thing. Uh, just anything. So it'd be like food or clothes or. Yeah. Whatever. So we both made boards for each other and they are so freaking cute. It was oh my gosh, so I want to see. I'll send you Those them. Are, that's I should adorable. make one for yeah, you. Yeah, I want to see them. I should make one for you. You should. I would love to see that. Yes. And I'll make one for you. Yeah. Now we're going to make, okay, that was a good palate cleanser. Not me stabbing myself in the hand. <laughs> I'm all better though. I'm great. And my good. zucchini plant is recovering very well. You're both <laughs> healing. I'm very happy. <laughs> we are. <laughs> Yeah, that's it. Well, that was the Satanic Panic. I hope you guys enjoyed that episode or at least found it uh, enlightening, to say the least. But uh, we will see you guys next episode. But until then, do not start another Satanic Panic. Don't listen to QAnon Crazy Conspiracies. And have a great day, heathens. We love you. We love you. Bye. Also, heathens, if you're enjoying the show so far, please remember to subscribe on whatever platform you listen to us on and remember to bring your sacrifice to the blood ritual. Just kidding, a review will suffice. Deadly Faith is brought to you by Choircast Network. It's produced by Lacey Bean and Lola Robbins and audio engineered by Eric Cowell. Thanks for listening.